Shumai Achroisel. Hello and welcome to the New York Welsh podcast, the podcast that celebrates Welsh success stories in New York while hopefully inspiring the creation of some new ones. And speaking of Welsh success stories, congratulations to Boy Azuga, who recently won the National Welsh Music Prize. National Welsh Music Prize. We had Davey Newington, the uh, lead man from the band, on our podcast just a couple of weeks ago. Mm, yeah, what a coincidence. Hmm. That he should be on our podcast and then get the Welsh National just Music after Prize. that receive such recognition. We'll leave it to you whether you think there was any correlation there. And we should also congratulate the winners of our DCINY ticket giveaway to go and see Paul Milo at the Great War concert at Carnegie Hall. Is it? Uh, yes. Congrats to Catherine Cedric and Don Farrow, uh, who were the winners of the competition, who both won, I believe, four tickets each. Fantastic. We'll see you there. Yes. So without further ado, we'll jump into our interview with Paul Milo. Um, Paul has been described in the New York Times as the most important person to emerge in Welsh music since William Mathias. Well, that's high praise indeed. He's best known uh, for being asked to compose music for the royal wedding of Prince William and Kate Middleton. Yes, he was actually the first classical composer uh, to hold both the classical and pop chart number one um, at the same time, also in 2011, uh, when he also uh, went to UK Christmas number one for Wherever You Are, which was the piece uh, he worked on for the Military Wives Choir. Yes. So he was born in St. Asaph, North Wales, um, and he now splits his time between Anglesey, where he has a home, and Aberdeen, where he is a professor. Yeah, we spoke to Paul, ahead of his US premiere of Requiem, uh, which was at Carnegie Hall, uh, which is part of the DCIMY Great War Commemoration. Uh, and yeah, had a brilliant conversation, um, thoroughly interesting man and um, some pretty amazing music. Uh, I believe uh, it was once said that if there's a heaven, I want it to sound like the music of Paul Milo, which I think is a pretty amazing. That was from the New York Concert Review who said that. Yeah, and if you'd like to listen to Paul Milo yourself, you can actually listen to his album, Immortal Memory, uh, which is his most recent album, or his best-selling album, A Tender Light, which are both available on Spotify. So we give you Paul Milo. We read somewhere that you have been given the keys to the city of Aberdeen. Is firstly is that is that true? And that's not true. That's not true. It's <laughs> not to know where you got that from. No, I was given, Wikipedia. I was, oh, really? Wikipedia <laughs> on Wikipedia it says that you were given really? the keys to the well, city. No one's told me about it. But I was I was um, given the I was made a free burgess of the city. Is that ah. not the same thing? No, it's not. It's a different thing. Oh. Uh, the free burgesses are a very different thing. Free, uh, uh, free burgesses uh, were originally back back during the, the war between Scotland and, and England, um, was um, to defend the city. Um, uh, noble people to defend the city should it be invaded. So ah. uh, it's, it's an honour, but it's it's not the keys to the city. They give that out very, very rarely. I mean, they've oh, given right. it up four times, I think, oh, wow. um, in the history of Aberdeen, which is one of the oldest cities in the in the UK. So, But the free burgesses, there's about 20 um, of, of us um, living and dead. And, it, and it's, a, it's, an honor. it's an honour. It's like the freedom of the city. But 20 uh, ever. I think so. I could be wrong, but I think wow. that's it. But it's like, it's like the freedom of the city, but not quite. But you you have to sign a thing to say that um, should um, should uh, uh, the city be invaded, you have to stand up and and uh, be counted. You, know? you and however many living yeah. remaining. The, the others are a little bit older than I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not going to be much of a defence. So they'll be um, looking at you to lead the way. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'll conduct my way out of it. But the, but the, but the problem is that well, the great thing of it also is, is you, there's a whole list of stuff that you sign, and you get a whole load of. Um, 
of uh, uh, great things that you can that come out of it. And one of them um, is that you um, you can, if you like, um, uh, herd your cattle through the main streets of the city and not be impeded by the police. That is a treat. Uh, yeah, and I am going to do that. Do you have, <laughs> do you have cattle? No, but I'm going to get them. Okay. Yeah. That's a good enough reason to get cattle, I think. It used to come from... When when you were in the feudal system, it meant you were free from serfdom. That's right. That's yeah. it. That's all it meant was you don't have to tile on the land anymore. Yeah. So it was a very rare thing. Yeah. But I didn't I, I didn't realize that that free burgess and keys to the city were not the same. No, they're different. Um, the keys to the city um, is is um, incredibly rare. In, yeah. in, That's in, when you can literally just go into anyone's house and <laughs> make yourself a cup of tea. <laughs> Just nap on their couch and they can't say anything. It was my school janitor where they used to carry that like massive weight of like hundred keys on his belt, weighing down, lopsided. Um, so when whenabouts was this? Yeah, so um, it was in two thousand and twelve. Okay, so this must have been soon after you'd done the. Um, you'd, um, your music obviously was at the royal wedding. Yeah, so it, that was I did that and then I did the um, the number, Christmas number one that same yes. year. So uh, I think I was. It was uh, it was a kind of thank you for all of that because I mean I, I I teach in the university in Aberdeen and City so I've lived there, on and off. I divide my time between Scotland and Wales. So throughout the whole of the summer, Christmas and Easter, I'm in Anglesey, mm-hmm. uh, North Wales, and then the rest of the time, term time, I'm I'm living in the middle of the city. I have a place in the middle of the city. Okay. So I do a um, so I think it was it was a kind of recognition of that. So the amazing thing that struck me about Aberdeen is that the north of Wales and the north of Scotland could basically be the same place. Um, the people are very very similar. Very very mm. similar. They don't. Uh, they they. Uh, there's a, there's a, a wry sense of humour and a complete disregard for anything that you should have a regard for, um, which I really like. Um, <laughs> and so uh, and you. It doesn't matter whether if you're um, the guy that's sweeping the streets or you know triple Oscar winning actor. No one really cares. You just get on with it and no one bothers you and stuff. And I think it's um that's what I like about it. Yeah. And they're quite rural communities, both of them. Even though the city of Aberdeen is a proper city, you know, one of the wealthiest cities in the world because of the oil, um, it's in the middle of a rural, of a, of a rural, of a rural community. Yeah. I mean, literally ten minutes out of my my place, you're in you're in the Cairngorms. You know, you got the Highlands, stuff like that, and um, and you can walk for miles without seeing anybody. Um, so yeah, it's a special special yeah, place. But, yeah. Um. So you mentioned it, but we've got to go into much more detail on this now. The royal wedding, uh, yeah. The, the first, the, not the first one, obviously. The William and Kate, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, that was that must have been a, a phone call, yeah. There Something was a, special. There was. A, I didn't believe it when it happened because um, uh, I'd written a number of pieces for St Andrews University, um, which they were both students at, um, which is not far from from Aberdeen, about an hour and a half drive, and um, and so I just get this phone call out of the blue asking me if I be interested in, in getting involved and I just the wedding hadn't been announced so um, uh. I didn't believe it I just something was winding me up um, and uh, so I thought yeah 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 and then um, then this letter arrives you know on Her Majesty's service you know where uh, uh, you have to sign at a secret so you're not going to say anything until after it's announced um, and so I signed that and I thought oh, this is obviously now becoming real and then it, and it was you know so then that was that so so uh, um, yeah I uh, I wrote the piece, but actually it started life as a different piece. It started life originally as a piece called Now Sleeps the Crimson Petal, which is the piece that uh, was originally chosen. But that is a poem by Tennyson, which is a very sensual poem about two lovers lying naked in each other's arms under the stars. And it was thought of by the Dean of Westminster, John Hall, that that was perhaps not quite right um, for the the ceremony of the future King William V. So, um, So they asked me if I would adapt it to different words. 
um, uh, the, the Abbey did. Um, and so, uh, so, so I did. So I, I readapted it into. So it's the same music, but the different words, which is Ubi Caritas, which is a, a fourth-century prayer. Yeah. Wow. So, and that must have been. A, I mean, obviously the royal wedding. I don't know the exact numbers, but it was, I mean, must be in the millions, billions. I mean, oh, yeah. it must be because it's watched all over the world. Yeah, it's one of the most the televised. I think they, 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 it's very difficult to prove, but they, est- they estimated 2.5 billion. Wow. But, but who knows? I mean, how, how do they... How do they, how do they who are they yeah. to start with? Well, they, they used they? to do it because it, it would, they would guess viewership um, for, for TV shows by power surges. Oh. Is that true? It is true. And the logic was <laughs> that in the commercial breaks or at the end of a show, if it was BBC and there was no adverts, um, people would go and like... Put do something else, on. put the kettle on or go turn the lights on in another room or something and they would they would gauge the power surge spikes. <laughs> I've heard that, but I don't know if that's true. Do you think that's true? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things I heard one way years ago and thought it must be true. It's very British, that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that way. <laughs> really, I like that. Yeah. Um, and so, so, so how did that, did that then lead to... Um, the, the BBC choir work? And oh, like, yeah. Well, I mean, it just led to everything because uh, I mean, I'd already been steadily doing stuff, you know, up yeah. until then and, you know, like any composer. Um, but as soon as you get an audience like that, and yeah. a big event like that, um, that uh, all the offers start then coming in. And, yeah. and Your life just must have just almost oh, it's changed overnight. Yeah, absolutely right. unbelievable. So then literally, literally overnight, you know, I had 70,000 emails that came through. Overnight? Yeah, uh, yeah, literally after the after the wedding. Because uh, I, I would have rather stupidly left my email address on uh, on the oh, thing, uh, I didn't. You just, yeah. Yeah. I on what? It was on my university web oh, thing. And no, the I trouble see. is that I hadn't. You don't. I don't know. I didn't realise who was going to. I just thought to myself, it's a piece of classical choral music. Who the hell's going to? What's that? No one's going to pay much attention to that. Um, but I was wrong. So um, loads of people did. So um, yeah. So I got a lot of emails from people. Some, all, most of them, all good. There was a couple that weren't so good. Um, but oh, most really? of the, yeah, well, people just, I don't know, they didn't quite get it or something. But Can't uh, please everybody. Uh, and you shouldn't try. Everybody's no. a critic. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, but they don't do it. They're quite happy to talk about it. But, uh, but most of them were really positive. And people, a lot of people, because it's in Latin, a lot of people hadn't heard Latin song for years, you know. Mm. So they'd sent me a lovely message. And then there was one guy, which is a really serious one, a guy from Texas, actually, who'd uh, sent a really, long after sent me a letter, that um, he'd been in a really dark place that he'd... Um, he had a rope around his neck, and then he heard this music come from somewhere. He said, I took the rope from around my neck to find out what it was. He said, it was your piece, and I wanted to tell you that. This letter arrives. So how do you answer that when that comes? You know, so Quickly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dad's a bit of a joker, and uh, he said, um, you better not let him hear any more of your music, and we'll put the rope back round. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. So all sorts of letters and people you know, spilling their hearts out and stuff. And there was one woman, um, again from, uh, from America, this time from the North, who uh, wanted to marry me because of this piece. She just fell in love with the piece and she thought I was the piece for some reason. But I managed to get out of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could have been talking to you under very different subjects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, wow. And then, and then there obviously was a, the Christmas, Christmas number one, was that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, literally just after that, um, there's a choir master called Gareth Malone, who's quite a big deal in the, in the UK and he does a lot of TV programmes, trying to teach people who can't sing how to sing. And uh, I'm actually very good at it. Um, and so he'd been... He discovered that one of the communities that no one really pays any attention to are the wives and partners and mothers uh, of serving military personnel. Mm-hmm. And they, they follow their partners all around the place. They have no community. They have no identity. And so he wanted to start up a whole load of choirs with these women. But he didn't have any music for them. So he asked me if I'd write something. So um, I wrote this song. And I didn't know when I wrote it that um, the premiere performance is going to happen at the Royal British Legion Festival of Remembrance at the Royal Albert Hall uh, on telly. 
in the presence of the Queen, you know, in the royal family. So um, I didn't know any of that. So I just wrote this piece, and um, and it just went went ballistic. You know, Chris Evans got involved, and everyone wanted to try and stop the X Factor getting to Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so Decca decided, Decca Records decided that they'd record this. This is a single, as a charity single. And it was on Radio 2, Radio 3. Then no one knew how to categorise it because hmm. it's classical music, but it's like a poppy-type song. Um, so it was actually played on all of the radio stations. It was on the classical radio stations, the pop radio stations, the folk radio stations. Um, and so um, it actually ended up being number one in all of the charts. Wow. Oh, I think it's probably the only piece that's ever done that. Um, so one thing I was interested in, and you know, we're both, neither of, I think Gideon or I have, pretend to know that much about classical music so you speak of very much layman here but uh did it through that experience did you did, did you have to talk about your work in a different way because i imagine prior to that you were in most cases talking to an audience that understood a lot of classical music and yeah. suddenly you're thrust into this much broader audience where i imagine that majority wouldn't have had that experience yeah, no, yeah. That, that's absolutely right so you know at the same time as i'd be talking on radio three about it uh, then i go to radio two for chris evans's morning show and of course you can't a different audience. They don't want to know about the, what the structure of the piece is and stuff like that. So you talk about it in a different way, and so mm. you do. Um, and it was, um, well, it's good for me to be able to talk about things to people who want to hear about it, but in a different way, you know. Mm. So it was great, and I was, I was involved in all sorts of s- stupid and silly things um, promoting the, the disc, because it's all for charity, yeah. to raise money for the Royal British Legion and for SAFA Forces Help, which helps um, people who've been injured in, in conflict or in, in armed, in service of the armed forces. Um, and so I was in all sorts of things. Um, I had to dress up as a, as a naval officer for something. I can't remember what it was now, but because um, I'm not sh- a small person. I'm trying to squeeze this uniform. <laughs> I seem to remember. It took a bit of, a, took a bit of, a, bit of time. But um, we all dressed up as different officers to represent the different forces being uh, being represented by this charity. But it was great fun. It was great yeah, fun. that's cool. When does a classical composer get to do stuff like that? Yeah. You know, it was great. Do, do you... But we don't strictly come dancing. You did? Yeah, we did Strictly Come Dancing. They danced to this tune on Strictly Come Dancing. Uh, Strictly Come Dancing. And uh, I <laughs> I was sat next to Bruce Forsyth. Um, so he, he went on um, and he did start of the show. And then in between his bits, he would go and sit back and talk to the to the punters and the audience. Rather amazingly, you know, because he was in his 70s then. Yeah. And late 70s. And... Um, he never stopped. So he was on producing the show, you know, it, literally as you would see him on the TV. Then he would come backstage and be talking to everybody else. Um, nonstop. He was always on. Yeah, he would never, he, I only saw him that one show, but he didn't sit down. Um, he was talking to everybody um, as if they were all his best friends. Oh. A remarkable uh, professional um, and obviously was never off. He was always on and he was, he was wonderful. So I got a selfie with him because uh-huh. uh, we just assumed that, you know, he'd say hello and then he would go off and relax and come back on and do his thing. No, no, no. He stayed with everybody. And he was talking to all of the militarized women. He was talking to all of their husbands and stuff. Absolutely phenomenal man, you know, really. As people say about him, is exactly as my experience of him. And so it was great being on that on that show, um, uh, especially partly really to, to promote the, the the single for the women, but but also uh, I just loved meeting him. Yeah. Um, I thought it was great. Yeah, it was another nice perk, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how would you describe your music to to people that don't listen to classical music? I would say at all. Yeah, um, I I think it's um, my my music has at its heart a kind of a central um, interest in spirituality, interested in the sublime, interested in the gentle, interested in uh, medit- meditative aspects of things. So my music tends to uh, often be very very slow moving, very melodic. Um, I think if you've never heard classical music, this this is not the kind of music that would put you off. I don't think um, uh, it often has a, a religious basis or a spiritual basis, um, and it comes from that you know I, I started off as a church 
musician, as a, as a boy chorister in St. Asaph Cathedral in North Wales. And so that experience stayed with me. Um, and, uh, and I think that there's all that kind of ancient plain song, you know, that kind of chant like mm. that, that, um, that is throughout the whole of this piece, uh, this piece that's for this and also in all of my music. Um, so it's um, the kind of it's really funny because um, when I started writing music like this, everyone was telling me that um, I was completely wasting my time because uh, no one really wants to hear that kind of stuff. But it's been the exact opposite, uh, and I think in today's world where we literally don't stop, I mean, we're, we're, we're at it all the time, aren't we? No mm. one, no one really knows how to relax anymore. Um, that I found that actually more and more people are taking towards this this type of music as a way of, 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 of relaxing, as a way of looking at, at the spiritual, which they may not necessarily want a religious experience, but they might find something spiritual in the, in the music, which they... And that, that, that's, that's, there's a truth in that. Something about choral music that does involve the listener. Yeah. You notice it in, in films a lot. Yeah. If there's a moment where they really want to like tug on the heartstrings and like punctuate this moment... It'll, there'll be just a chorus yeah. rising in the background, and it, it works. Often without it's words. Like kind of, oh, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. I, I was reading an article, I skimmed an article recently, that it said that they reckon uh, singing together in groups was what built the first communities that turned early man into a civilization. There's something about being part mm. of a group and all singing together that made us care more about the person next to us and be happy to cooperate and you know I'll stay and look after the cave and you go off and gather the food and you do this and it was it was something that built the communities building you in sync I mean you see it in like um like on the nature shows you get all the monkeys and mm. they all just mm. they all just make a noise all at the same time you think what are they doing I think they're just, yeah. they're just enjoying each other's company yeah. I always thought a big part I know they're like chanting for example like for relaxation I know that a part of it is like om or whatever, and you get yeah. think it's for. Um, I think scientifically, it creates this like vibrations that gives yep. uh, stimulates your I think your vagal or your cranial nerve, yep. Yep. Um, which mm. creates this like relaxation response. Absolutely, um, and there isn't a culture that exists at any human culture anywhere. Though there isn't any music, it doesn't exist. Mm. I mean, there is music at the heart of every single human culture, um, and it's something we've forgotten about. Um, and, you know, one of the things, I don't want to get political on here, one of the things that annoys me at the moment is, is all these cuts to music education. Mm. You know, if you actually look at all of the studies that educationists have done, kids that learn music at school tend to do better in, in other subjects. Um, you know, if you're learning music at school, you're more likely to be good, better at maths, you're more likely to be better at physical stuff because it takes mental and physical coordination. Um, and it's, it's, really, it's an essential part of, 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 of the mind, um, mm. of the developing mind. Um, so and language, you'll be better at language if you understand music. Mm. So, um, so we're hoping. I'm hoping that people are gradually beginning to realise this. So, yeah. music is a language. It is, and it isn't because it isn't. It is because it expresses something that a language does, but it expresses something which you can't necessarily understand <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. It's not hard edge. So it is, and it isn't. That's the great thing about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was I was listening to I certainly enjoyed your um, I was listening to your album on Spotify. Uh, I was I'm really into baths at the moment. Uh, <laughs> my, my friend put me onto it, um, and uh, yeah, it was it was perfect. And to that point about like yeah, t- really taking you. Um, I mean, it's a cliche to say, trans- kind of transporting you. Yeah. It really does. You really feel like the depths of uh, and kind of areas you can move into. Well, I get a lot of letters and emails from people now who who play it at um, at that the the, the uh, that particular album. They play it at. Um, as people are dying, 
Mm. You know, I get a lot of emails and letters from people. You know, I played this. My mother was 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 dying of cancer, and she wanted this. And they, actually, people have passed to this music, and it's become a, um, it's it's taken on a a, a role like that, like kind of comforting role, which I'm happy with at all. You know, I'm very happy. With. But if whatever you do can bring some comfort to anybody, in the world that we're living in now, I think that. Um, that's an important thing, and so um, I wrote a, a very a big piece called the Stabat Mater, which is a, which is a, a, about um, Jesus' crucifixion, but it's more about Mary at the foot of the cross. So, and I get loads of letters from from mothers who've lost their sons, hmm. um, uh, and that piece connects to them because uh, it's basically how she felt at that moment. You can you know, can't imagine anything as as terrible as that. You know, I have a son myself, and can't imagine um, that being in that yeah. position. So. Um, um, well, obviously, you know that uh, our podcast is called New York Welsh, so um, we should probably talk a little bit about uh, Wales. Wales, and, um, good old Wales. Yeah, a bit about kind of you know where you're from, Saint Asaph, is it? Yep, yep. I was born there, and I went to to school there. And also, um, it's a tiny little. I don't know if you've ever been. It's no. a tiny. It's a city, but it shouldn't be really because it, it's it's tiny. Well, it should because we because it should, but <laughs> but it's tiny. But it's it's absolutely tiny. And so there's a cathedral, a few shops, a couple of houses, and that's it. Um, but because you've got that cathedral. That's right. Need. Well, it's a, it's a really it's an old Gothic cathedral, so it's a, it's a really beautiful one. Um, and so I was a choir boy there, and um, I went to school not far from there. And then, um, but most of my summers were, were were taken up in Anglesey, which is an island just off mm-hmm. the off the coast, which is where um, I still have a house there. I still I, all the summers I go back there. Christmas and Easter's I'm back there. So um, and I, my cottage is right on the beach, so um, that's where I write all the music. You know, so some people often say they can hear the the tide coming in on the, in the music, you know, with this kind of fl- flowing and thing. Um, but uh, no, so I, I, had a, I, had a, uh, I, I still haven't left Wales, really. Um, I don't think I ever will. There's something in the blood, you know, that kind yeah. of draws me back. Does it mean a big part of you? You know, I've read a lot of things yeah. about saying about how, you know, you've you know, really flown the flag for kind of music um, internationally. Um, does, that, does that mean a lot to you? And Yeah, no, it, it does. I think the... Um, the, the, there's something uh, which we spoke at very in, at the beginning. Something in the Welsh kind of personality, which is you don't take yourself too seriously. Uh, which I kind of one doesn't, and I think like that's I think that's fantastic because I think once you start taking it too seriously, I mean you really should stop because uh, the world doesn't need any more of that. Um, and I think uh, there's that culture about that. There's this there's this love of um, of 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 the space, you know. Um, because the cities of Wales, let's face it, they're not the most beautiful cities in the world, but it's Bath and Cardiff, of course. But there's a, there's an earthiness in there. There's a there's a there's a there's a grit in there which I absolutely love, you know. Mm. And it's not like anywhere else. Mm. Um, and uh, even the countryside of Wales, there's a kind of sparseness which you don't get even in Scotland, um, which is one of the countries that comes closest to Wales. Uh, in in the way that it's like, and 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 uh, I just love it going back home, and none of my mum's friends have any clue what I've been doing, or even care. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. And why should they? You know? You're um, you're involved with an organisation called T Care, I yes. think. Yeah. yeah. Whose mission statement is to promote Welsh music nationally and internationally. Yeah. But yeah. How did you get involved with them? Yeah, there was a, the the director of T Care at the time was a guy called Glyn L Williams, who um, they were looking for people to take uh, on. A kind of figurehead role um, that would uh, that they could use and, and help them promote themselves because they they actually have publicly funded money but they also raise money and also local groups can join like a local brass band or a local choir can join this group to get to, to buy music and stuff like that um, and so uh, I became the president of it and and, um, and I've been um, been reactive in promoting it and I'm very happy to uh, this is my fourth year of it 
And uh, we, we lobby the Welsh government and um, councils and stuff like that to try and get more funding. Everyone's after more funding. Um, and, uh, and, and also to, to promote it with kids, you know, to promote music with kids who... Uh, when I was growing up, um, I come from a rural community. We weren't rich, um, and the, all of the musical education was free. Uh, you'd go to the local council, would give you an instrument. You didn't have to buy an instrument. It was free, um, and you'd have all your lessons were free. That's not the case now. And so it, the music is becoming the domain of the very rich, um, mm. and it shouldn't be. Um, if Wales is going to be the land of song, we have to stand by that and, and, and help. And actually, it is helping. Um, it's commissioning. Um, all sorts of reports and stuff. So, um, so that's a serious part of this, but I think it's an important part that um, if we're going to retain that title of the land of song, we have to have to do something about it. Mm, have to invest in that. Absolutely. Yeah. There's nothing better than hearing the rugby. The, everyone's sh- shouting their heads off in beautiful harmony. No other country does that. No. Um, we've got to keep that. <laughs> you know, it's special. You can feel the hairs on the back of your neck standing up and you think, wow, this is something to be proud of. Yeah. Mm. Um, and also... I think you invo- actually we should check this. Are you involved with the Eisteddfod? Uh, oh, with the Eastland Gostland, the international Eisteddfod. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you could talk perhaps a little bit about your involvement with the international Eisteddfod. Yes, well. I'm, <laughs> I'm one of the I'm vice president of the Flangothland International Eisteddfod, uh, which happens in this tiny little place, uh, Flangothland. I'm sure many people listening to us have been to, mm-hmm. um, it brings communities mm-hmm. from all over the world to compete in a Welsh Eisteddfod. But instead of it just being in Welsh and for Welsh, which is you know, the national stuff that it's for, which is, which is great. This is for the international community. So, um, and it's wonderful. You go there each year and you've got people from the US, from Canada, from Africa, from China, from Japan, from, from all over the place coming together, singing their own music. Oh, so it's not just expats from no, the places. They no. bring their own that's cultures right. and... Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Wow. And they sing their cultural music. And it always happens in Llangollen? Mm, in Llangollen, yeah. What, when, what time of year does it happen? It happens in the summer. Oh, yeah, nice. yeah. That's probably best, actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's... <laughs> no, we thought we'd hold it in February and just see how it goes. <laughs> but even in some of the still a few showers, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that sounds yeah. like it would be really worth going to. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. There's always a load of American choirs that go and do really well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you have you spent a lot of time in the US? Um... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was a, I was a pupil very briefly at Harvard in oh, okay, uh, yeah, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, mm. and um, and since then I've been back in two um, for the last twenty years. Um, but very visiting professorships and mm-hmm. performances and talks and stuff like that. So now I tend to come about five or six times a year. Really? Uh, Do you have a particular favourite place in the US? That you oh like? well, you can't. You know, it's got to be New York, isn't it? Because um, it really has. I mean, I, I mean, I love that. The, 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 I love um, that the, the top of America. The, the, just before it enters Canada in the very north, there, I love mm-hmm. all that because of the vast spaces and the animals and all that kind of stuff. But um, but you got but but New York has its animals as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and I just about it, the duck. Well, this amazing duck that's just uh, arrived. You know, but also it's it's uh, there's nowhere like New York. Yeah. There's nowhere where you can you can get somewhere like Times Square, the lights, the the, the atmosphere, the shows, um, and also the the attitude, which I just love. Mm. You know, there's this we don't care attitude about anybody. I just love it, um, and the loudness. I've never known a place where so many car horns are being bibbed at the same time. You know, the aggression of it, which I find absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoy it. <laughs> I think it's I starting think it, to get a bit old for me. I still I just love the fact that people can walk past people they know. Yet they'll have open conversations with strangers, uh, yeah. like as if they'd known them all their lives. I just think, yeah, there is a touch of that. Um, it's brilliant. So tonight, uh, sorry, t- not tonight, tomorrow night. Yes, uh, you're due to be premiering um, your new piece of work, Requiem, yep. uh, at Carnegie Hall. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, it's a big piece. I mean, I it was commissioned by the Chapel Royal. Um, for, it was premiered in September. So today, t- tomorrow is the second performance of the, of the piece ever, and the first US performance. Um, and so it had a, had a big performance um, uh, in, in, um, in the UK. Um, and actually, it's really funny because it was recorded live for Classic FM, you know, the radio station. Mm-hmm. So it goes out uh, on Classic FM the same time as, I conducting it, as I'm conducting it here, which is absolutely really bonkers. Um, but the piece is, um, is intended to be a commemoration to mark the, um, the centenary of the end of the First World War. Um, and the, the poet that I've involved is a guy called Graham Davis, who's, mm-hmm. I would say, one of Wales's greatest poets. And what he has done is he's, he's found meditations upon the traditional Requiem Mass. So he's, he's tried, and he's succeeded, in finding a way of making this not a glorification of war, but actually a glorification of peace. Um, and he involves, there's a wonderful poem which I've set as part of it, which is called The Hand That Held the Knife, in which he says, the hand that held the knife that kills also kills the person that holds the knife in their hand mm. it's the act hurts both um and i think um and it's 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 a, it's a powerful piece it's about 40 minutes it's for choir it's for orchestra um and it's um yeah it'll be premiered in carnegie hall and it, it is a, it's a meditation and i hope a commemoration to all those people who who gave their lives um mm. in that the one of the worst war, wars the the world has ever seen. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, so the act of killing kind of kills the kills the the soul of the person. You know, yeah. uh, which is the thing that's often been said by the survivors. Yeah, yes. um, You know, many of the survivors uh, on both sides actually ended up not surviving because they couldn't cope with the with the with the horror of it. Of course. Um, yeah. So. They had PTSD before anybody had a name yeah. for it. You that's know? right. They just they come back to their hometowns and that's it. They're just different people. Just couldn't cope. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's so, still a major problem with it now. Veterans struggling to fit into society and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so the um, so it's being brought by the the DCINY, whose yep. office we were actually recording this from. Um, how did how did that how did it come about? The whole yeah, I've done a, a, a quite a lot with D- DCINY is a group called Distinguished Concerts International New York, and what they do is they they facilitate choirs from all over the world to come and sing at Carnegie Hall. They they are, enable it to happen, and they approach um, uh, various composers, um, and so. This is my fourth time working with them, and they heard that this requiem was being premiered, and they wanted to put it on. So, so they hire Carnegie Hall, they hire the orchestra, they sort all that out, they do all the publicity and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we sold out uh, tomorrow. So, um, so that we we have many thousand people coming to hear this, um, and so we have three hundred singers from all over the world who have come together for two days. Um, so I've been rehearsing them for yesterday and today, um, and. Um, I didn't realise you actually had to be... Gideon and I have just come from the rehearsal and we got to witness some of it. I didn't realise that this was the first time they come together. So not only are you, you know, getting ready to perform this for the first time, you're actually bring, kind of tuning yep. a, a choir over the course of two days to get ready for this performance. Yeah, and it's tricky, it's hard. And they all know it's hard because they all know what they're doing. They know that they're all good singers. Mm. And so they just know because, you know, one of the big things about singing is if we've got a whole... We've got a choir from uh, Australia, we've got a choir from New Zealand, we've got a choir from... Uh, uh, from to, to three choirs from the UK, uh, three choirs from the US, whatever it is, all these different groups, they all pronounce words differently. Mm. And so we have to try and find a common way of pr- pronouncing the right vowel sounds. So that takes ages because you can imagine that the Australians are a little bit far back, different parts of America, different ways that they pronounce. And then, you know, so it's trying to get everyone singing the same vowels, the same words, so that it actually sounds like one choir. Mm. So it's kind of like coaching a lion's tour. Yeah, yeah, sure. you're kind of like the Warren Gatland of. Uh, <laughs> I wish. I wish. <laughs> no, yeah, not quite. But uh, that's but what we're going to call the title of this podcast. 
<laughs> this episode, the Warren Gatland of classical music. You'll <laughs> get a lot more hits. <laughs> but it's uh, no, it's brilliant because I think um, I think it is. You've got to try and you've got to bring together people who don't know each other. They're from different countries. They've never sung together and they sing differently. And, and how do you do it? Um, and and it, uh, it's something I've thought about. Uh, I've done it loads of times now. But, um, and there's now ways that I know about doing it. Um, but we have, an, we have an, a, a, fanta- a massive Australian choir that's, that's taking part. That's, that's the first time they've ever left, left Australia. All It's uh, high school kids. Oh. Um, and they're just like completely freaking out. I mean, when I when I saw them yesterday morning, they've never seen. They went to see Kinky Boots last night or something. Like that. <laughs> and they've just never seen anything like in their life. You know, suddenly they're in New York, and suddenly they're in Carnegie Hall tomorrow night, and that's been brilliant. And there are two Welsh guys in the Australian. Um, their parents or their grandparents are Welsh, and they speak Welsh. Oh my right. goodness! Yeah. yeah. Isn't that amazing? Second generation, and they're yep. speaking Welsh. Yeah, and they're proud that's of it. That's a shame. Yeah, we're learning. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. learning Welsh. But they're proud of it. That's the thing. That's it's not something to be assured. They were like, they're, they're proud to, sh- to kind of do this in front of everybody. Um, so I think, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. You, you said you've got two days with them, and that's, that's right. and that's quick. What what would be normal? How long would you usually expect? Well, if have? I just had a normal, well, this is, is so. Uh, um, this is how this particular system works, and I think it actually works well because it keeps you high energized. Um, but normally, you'd expect to have five or six weeks of rehearsals. You Whoa! Know, wouldn't you with a normal choir to do something? It's a piece is forty minutes long. You know. Um, so, not, so even though you only had two days, you've decided to because we were talking on the way over. You have this unique piece where you're using glasses. Yeah, can you exp- explain that? So you thought not only you only had two days, but we'd wheeled in just this little extra, little bit of a well, theatre. I, I, I've been fascinated with um, probably come from a misspent youth, which I'm still misspending. Which is, I quite like wine, and so um, one one day. Um, a friend of mine started doing the, you know, spinning the finger around the top of the wine glass, and you suddenly get this note comes out. Of it. And uh, I'd never really done it before, and I, and I, I it's just absolutely amazing sound because it's so pure. It's got the grittiness of the finger, which is good, and then you get the sound, which is you can't recreate that sound in any in any instrument. Um, so I just thought, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if we had a whole host of thirty of these of these? Um, because what I want to do at the end of the piece is I want the music to lift upwards into into heaven. Mm. And so how do I do that? How do I manage to do that? So the, then I thought back to this. So I've got the whole front row of the choir, all the, all the sopranos and altars, the women, uh, at the last moment of the piece, move forward out of the choir and pick up these, these tuned wine glasses to a particular chord that I wanted. And then they start playing them. And it's as if a music comes from nowhere. And this long chord, with almost a beautiful, beautiful um, a sound, almost as if it's crystals in sound suddenly overtakes everything else and then the rest of the orchestra and the choir stop gradually so that one transcends into another. And that's, um, the, that's the final moment. That's of the, the final. The piece ends like that, yeah. I don't know if you know, me and Richard are coming tomorrow night. Oh, brilliant. Yes. Yeah, no, I, no, no. So I'm looking forward to hearing it. Well, you'll hear that. Yeah. So it's, cool. yeah, yeah. You said you tuned them, but what, just... Yeah, them well, luckily I didn't have to tune them. <laughs> all, all 30 of them. Yeah, some poor, poor, poor guys from DCNY have been literally tuning them to, to a piano. With, with water. water. Yeah, different. We levels. decided not to use wine because the singers might take much. Yeah, start drinking. Suddenly, <laughs> someone's on a different pitch. Hey, <laughs> put the red wine there. But you can't do it too early, I imagine, because then you've got the what's going to evaporate. It evaporates. That's yeah. right. That's right. And of course, you have to dip your finger in to, to to moisten your finger to play the thing. So that just that little bit of water can then. So so someone has to keep the. So they've got these two guys who've got their eyes on this glasses and constantly chewing them, making sure they're at the right... Have they marked them, I imagine? I think they have, I think yeah. they have, yeah. yeah. Um, but even then, you have to keep your wits about you because slightly different densities of water or whatever can be... I mean, it's really subtle. 
Um, the idea of this, though, I'm not too, I don't too mind too much if it, it's gradually out of tune, because there's a beauty in that as well. Mm. Uh, but as long as it's kind of particular. A rough, bit of roughness too. Yeah, which yeah. I kind of quite like. Oh. Uh, but it is a magical thing. I don't know if you heard the end of it. Because um, uh, in music, I don't know if you know, in music there's major and minor. Yeah. So major is, is, is more kind of um, wholesome and, 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 and beautiful, and minor is darker. So when they start playing them, they play a minor chord, so it's, it's a, there's a darkness in it. And then the choir carries on, and then eventually, just the very last chord, it shifts up into the major. So it's just a very gentle shift in in the. So one of How the do they yeah. It? So there, so so it's basically chords. So there are three three notes in a chord. So um, it's divided into thirds. So one third does the top note. One third does the bottom note. The middle third of people have two wine glasses. One of them, which gives you the minor third, one of them gives you the major third, and they have to remember which one to use at which time. Um, so there's like a little shift in it. Um, and so there was a whole masterclass this morning, led, led by Kevin from DCINY, who spent about half an hour teaching these these women how to actually do this. Because if you've never done it before, it's actually quite tricky. Of um, course. Yeah. And also, there's the fact you're doing it at Carnegie Hall the next yeah. day. <laughs> in front of a thousand people. <laughs> and you've been training all your life to sing, sing not yeah, do this. <laughs> well, luckily they get to sing most of the pieces. It's only the last yes, movement that they have to enough. go off and, and do that. But it is, it is stunning. And the, today the choir heard it for the first time. And I've been getting emails from, from all saying, oh, this is a ridiculous idea. It's not going to work. Oh, you know. Uh, and I just ignored it because I just thought, I know it's going to work. Uh, uh, so we got there and I said, right, let's hear this. And of course they started and everyone was just blown away because it's, it's as if a chord suddenly rings up from somewhere else. And in my imagination, it was, it's either we're, we're moving up towards the, the unknown mm-hmm. in heaven or we're getting an answer back from those that have gone before in some strange uh, way. Uh, anyway, I think it's, 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 it's just a beautiful moment. I think it's a perfect example of what you were saying about the philosophy of not taking yourself too seriously. Right? If we can't have a bit of fun absolutely. Um, yeah, around, absolutely. The, around yeah. the barriers, then, um, then what's it all for? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> That's a good question. Well, I'm certainly excited for it, and I, I can't wait. I can't wait either. I think it's going to be great. Um, and we will um, we'll certainly share, I think, a link to as much as we can of your... Um, kind of work if people do want to I don't know, listen to your music or find out more about you and, and some yeah. of your work where can they where can they go to well I have a website w I can't remember it now www.pormula.com or something like that uh, and it's on YouTube there's loads of recordings that choirs and stuff have put on YouTube just do a search for my name and and and, and you are on Spotify. That's where I've been listening. Am I? Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, anybody yeah. with Spotify or I'm assuming iTunes. Yeah, it's on iTunes. You're, yeah, just, yeah. you're just there. And uh, yeah, we should include a link to that, definitely. I think people yeah. want to hear it. We are, we're actually going to be playing out the end of this interview oh. with a little bit of something that we recorded oh, fantastic. this morning. So yeah, we'll all, in, all enjoy uh, a little bit of uh, what we experienced this morning. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. And best of luck tomorrow night. Cheers. <laughs> Yeah.